This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hello and welcome to the Pioneer Agronomy Podcast, where we keep you one step ahead of local agronomy issues throughout Illinois. On today's podcast episode, we have some really pertinent information to share about really protecting some of our nutrient investments um, going into this fall season, really preparing for a successful 2024. But before we get into that, want to take a moment to go through some crop updates around the state. So my name is Crystal Williams. I am the field agronomist here in Northern Illinois, as well as Northeastern Illinois. And I am going to kind of kick us off working our way through the state um, from North to South. So really harvest progress in terms of Northern Illinois. We are kind of in a either hurry up and let's go or hurry up and let's wait, depending on precipitation. The crop is, if not already there, it's ready to go for harvest. And um, as of recent, some of these um, late season into fall um, precipitation cells that have kind of came across have stalled a little bit of harvest progress. Um, granted, some areas have been able to combine some corn and beans, but really just kind of depends in terms on what type of precipitation um, you might have received. So um, kind of a slow start, excited to really see how um, things start to come across. I know um, some of my area up along the state line was extremely um, stressed for drought um, in one of the driest Augusts actually that we've had in the last 40 years. So with that being said, some of the environmental effects that we've had in terms of lack of precipitation um, I'm anticipating could really impact um, some of our yield results here this year. But um, more to come. The combine will ultimately paint the story for us, but really want to wish everybody a safe and successful harvest season. Thanks. Hello, everybody. My name is Brad Mason. I'm the Pioneer Field Agronomist in Western Illinois. Just wanted to provide you a quick update of what we're seeing here uh, as harvest starts to uh, begin for most of the area here in the central and western part of the state. We've got a lot of folks starting to pick corn, and uh, what we're seeing out there is yields have been surprisingly uh, better than expected with the lack of rainfall, some of the derecho winds we had through the area. A lot of folks are actively trying to get corn out. Um, while it's still standing with uh, less than desirable stock qualities. So it's been it's been pretty exciting to see folks dive into fields and, and be pleasantly surprised with some of the outcomes of uh, these fields. Yields have been significantly better than expected. Uh, I've had a few folks start on soybeans, and again, um, the, the comment there is better than expected. I think a lot of us with no rainfall or minimal rainfall in August thought, yeah, we're really going to need some sizable rains to get these positive fill but it's it's pretty amazing with the soils we're blessed with and uh the the cooler nights and cooler days we had um really really saved our crop and allowed folks to cut um some beans that are pretty darn solid um here in a here in several in the 70s so far and this is very very early in soybean harvest so there will be some more on either side of that so um be very interested to see how things go Hey everybody, Cody Pettit here, Pioneer Field Agronomist, covering Eastern Illinois with a, an update and two-week forecast. Um, we've just started nudging a harvest, about even on corn and soybeans, it seems like, driving down the road. Um, reports are 
surprising on soybeans and I would say um, expected on corn. So corn overall, things look uh, really good. There's a lot of variability though. There are some some disappointing fields and then um, higher than expectations on yields in, in some areas and it's all just dependent on when you got rain during the grain field period and if you got rain in June. So again, given the season, we are all uh, grateful for the kind of yields that we are bringing in I think and and so that's that's always good to hear uh, plots coming out have been tremendous a um, lot of good products out there this year so excited to see uh, what what harvest unfolds to as far as the soybean side that's where I'm really surprised I was kind of hesitant to make any claims on soybeans I just didn't have um, high expectations regarding uh, yield based off of the environment that we had. Soybeans, you know, we were planted early, planted into tough conditions, then we hit the drought, then we had um, a lot of issues with soybeans. And But we, we've we got some early reports of some early planted stuff, and, man, they are doing tremendous. I've heard uh, in the 80s typically and even some hitting uh, high 90s. So very, very surprised by that and, and happy to hear that. Um, as far as rain goes, we got a little anywhere from two to four inches last week. Uh, the past couple days, we we received a, a few tents here and there, um, but overall, we probably will will be um, hot and heavy in the end of harvest here come next week. Uh, still waiting on some later maturity uh, hybrids to dry down, but outside of that, um, it's looking like a pretty good fall. And excited to see what comes of everything. This is Matt McGemory, field agronomist in West Central, Central Illinois, with an agronomy update. I thought it might be useful because we now are in the middle of, of harvest to uh, just consider the story that we've kind of lived in since about July. July was incredibly brutal, um, really hot temperatures, really arid conditions, really brutal to be out scouting the crop. I think most of us probably thought that things were headed south and felt like the crop really was getting pummeled by that heat. We saw a lot of disease in beans, as we've mentioned quite a few times before, probably as much as we have seen in a long time. Again, an indication of the level of stress that the crop was under. Um, also probably felt like even though we were getting some rains that uh, that things things really weren't on the up and up as far as being completely better, that there was a chance there for those dry, hot conditions to still nip away at yield and probably entered uh, the harvest period fairly pessimistic. One of the reasons that we did that um, as we hit those triple-digit temperatures um, there as we got ready to roll into September, uh, you could see bean crop, for instance, begin to shut down. You could see stock quality not long after begin to go. And then the crop began to come out of the field. And while we have had some areas that have been hit fairly brutally by this stress, I would have to say the overall yield trend is much better than what we would have expected in the part of the world that I serve, that West Central, Central area. Um, I, I think it's a, a big testimony to something we talk about many times, and that is that even though our eyeball says one thing, the combine is really the ultimate determiner of what's happening in the field. And, and there are some stressed areas out there, but the corn crop is running stronger than we would have predicted. And it looks like we're going to have a good solid bean crop as well. That's really the story at this point for West Central, Central Illinois. 
right in the middle, thick of harvest, um, off to a very good start with a good story when it comes to the corn crop, um, fairly positive on the bean side of things, and people getting ready to look at some wheat here before very long. Thanks a lot. This Pioneer Field Agronomist, Scott Everscard, with an update for Southern Illinois. Harvest has kicked off pretty well here in Southern Illinois as we head into the last week of September. Yields overall are probably on corn, for the most part, a little better than what guys have expected. You know, we were thinking we were going to have a lot of uh, 150 or less bushel corn. The way it's ended up, we're selling a lot of corn in the, you know, the 160 to 180 range with some of the areas that did actually get a little more rain or are setting a little over 200. So overall, I think uh, guys are pretty happy with the corn crop. Still going to have some areas with some sub-100 bushel yields, but those areas probably not quite as big as what we once thought they were going to be. From a soybean standpoint, um, the early soybean yields coming in are pretty good, especially on our early maturity stuff. Planting a lot more, say, 2.8s and 3.1s in southern Illinois, and a lot of those yields coming in, uh, coming in very, very well. As we kind of get through harvest now, we're moving into the late threes. A few of the early group fours will get cut this week. And uh, those yields seem to be holding pretty decent as well. Um, we'll have to get into our mid to late fours, see how they hold up um, with, with the later, drier summer we had in some places. But, again, overall, bean yields holding up very well. As, again, as we get to the last week of September here, um, guys starting to think about planting wheat. Um, right now we're in pretty dry conditions. You know, a lot of places wouldn't have enough moisture to get wheat up. I'm saying a pretty good chance of rain this week on Wednesday. We'll see if that happens. Uh, but other than that, I would look for about next week, we get to the 1st October, a lot of wheat acres will uh, start getting planted. So, again, conditions are going to be pretty dry overall um, until we get some significant rain to give us enough uh, moisture to get those to get those fields up as they do get planted. Um, that's it. Thanks. On today's podcast episode, we will dive into some fall nitrogen applications as well as a discussion around um, nitrogen stabilizers. So we have a pretty robust group of people on our um, podcast today, so I'm pretty excited to share with you on who's all on the call. So. Um, I am Crystal Williams. I'm a field agronomist in Northern Illinois, representing that area. And with me is... Cody Pettit, field agronomist covering Eastern Illinois. Brad Mason, field agronomist covering Western Illinois. Matt McGemory, field agronomist with Central Central Illinois. And Scott Eversford, field agronomist covering Southern Illinois. And we actually have two special guests on the call with us today, too. So, um, Heather, would you mind starting off it by introducing yourself and then Mike? Yes, my name is Heather Bosberg, and I am on Corteva's nutrient maximizer team. So I work with about mostly the central and eastern Illinois geography, as well as some part into Indiana as well. And Mike Koenix, I also work on the Corteva's Nutrient Maximizer team, and I work from Illinois all the way to Nebraska. What is kind of the current status of like nitrogen regulation within the state of Illinois today and um, kind of frame up the conversation a little bit? Yeah, I'll take that question, Crystal. So today, which we're sitting in the fall of 2023, we are coming close to the Illinois 
nutrient loss reduction strategy. And that was a goal that was in, put in place back in 2015. And that is a 20 year process. And we have two different benchmarks throughout that process. The first benchmark will be 2025. And the second benchmark will be 2035. And across that 20 years, our goal in Illinois is to reduce our nitrates and our phosphorus in our rivers by 40%. That is a sizable task, but we are coming up on our, our first benchmark. So I would say stay tuned. I know I've seen some preliminary numbers. We are making some progress um, towards that. I think we've got a lot of work to go to get to our, our overall goals. But those are some of the things that are going on with the nutrient loss reduction strategy. Just to just awesome. to help us understand just a little bit, um, Mike, what what uh, as far as where this thing can go, what do some other parts of the world look like? So, I mean, you, you look at um, some other parts of the world have been under a little bit more regulation than we than what we have in Illinois. Could you give us a little bit of perspective, you or Heather, on that? You know, kind of where are some other places? Where can this thing go if we don't if we don't do it? Yeah, Matt, that's a good question, and and I really hate to speculate on where that could go. Um, obviously, regulation is something agriculture doesn't like to see. Uh, to this point, we've been able to fend off a regulation. But to answer your question, what have we seen in other parts of the world? Uh, you go into Europe, you go into Canada, you go into even places on the East Coast of the United States, like the Delmarva, they do have some pretty strict rules on application timing, how many units of nitrogen they could apply at a certain time. And if those sort of rules were imposed on a state like Illinois, that would drastically change the way we manage nitrogen. And, and, and I, I don't think any of us want to want to see that. I'll give you another example in Minnesota, which isn't that terribly far away. Um, there are certain zones within Minnesota that they cannot apply fall nitrogen. Now they do have a little bit of grace in some of those areas they can apply up to 40 units of N in the fall. So if they're putting on say MAP or DAP in the fall, they can do that. But what that does is that rules out the ability of doing fall anhydrous. So, you know, that's not that far away, but but those are some other things that are out there. Um, so, so again, I hate to speculate, Matt, on what that would look like, but we just have to, we have to be good stewards. We have to self-regulate uh, how we manage both nitrogen and phosphorus in states like Illinois. Yeah, and I'll add to that too, you know, like Mike said, is we have to work on being really good stewards. And I think we've got a lot of great practices that so many growers are already putting into place with some of these fall and apps. Um, but that's one of Mike and I's and the whole nutrient maximizers team's goals is even just to educate more on what's going around internationally, because sometimes we can get in our own bubble here and we're pretty fortunate not to have a lot of regulation. Um, and not that we want to scare everybody into, you know, tactics to avoid that. But at the same time, I think it's really great that you brought that up, Crystal just and Matt, just because, you know, we don't know what that looks like down the road. And we need to showcase to the public um, and to the rest of the world that we are being good stewards here to kind of push off as much of that regulation as possible. So one of my questions to you two as the experts, um, 
every year it seems you know we we start to roll in the first october some folks have some corn out and soil temperatures are in the 60s it's maybe 80 degrees out and and we see folks start to pull the anhydrous bars out and start to say you know hey i'm going to make an application um, when we talk about nitrogen and and protecting it we typically talk about anhydrous in my world so what what are some things that that you guys would recommend as we as we talk about that as we we hopefully push people to cooler temperatures of soil temperature as well as protecting it yeah that's a great point i'm glad you brought that up brad um just because mike and i, and I think all of us probably get those calls with everybody yearning to get going in the fields with thinking about how much fall work there is to do but we want to slow down take a look at what's going on and we really want to make sure you know we are at soil temps of 50 degrees at least and trending downwards and that's a really important point to make is trending down um, because you know we could have a little bit of a cold spell in early October but if we're not trending down, then I would honestly wait a little bit because we want to give that nitrogen its best shot um, of staying in that soil profile for as long as possible and not being um, subject to warm soil temps. And so I would say that's a big one is looking at that soil temps and probably looking at mid to later October rather than earlier. Um, Mike, what else would you like to add to that? Yeah, and sometimes people ask, well, why is the temperature important? It's because the bacteria in the soil are driven by temperature. So the cooler it gets, the slower the bacteria get, and specifically the nitrosomonas bacteria, which kicks off nitrification. When we get below 50, that, that bacteria slows down. So it just helps us better manage that, that anhydrous. A couple other things that are really important to talk about here in the state of Illinois is we do have um, strong suggestions to not make applications south of Highway 16 in Illinois. So again, below that, and, there, and people say, well, why? Why can't we make an application south of Highway 16? And it's because it stays too warm. It doesn't consistently freeze up. And so we can't ensure that that fall anhydrous can survive the winter, survive the early spring, and be there for that corn crop next year. So, so that, that's a really important thing. In addition, even if you are in central Illinois or northern Illinois and you think, man, I want to I wanna put on fall ammonia, you should also pay attention to your soil type. If you have a coarse or sandy textured soil, do not make a fall anhydrous application on that soil that soil cannot hold that nitrogen long enough. Another way to look at is maybe look at your CEC rating for that soil, right? The rule of thumb is, is for every point of CEC, that soil can hold about 10 units of nitrogen. So if you have low CECs, that's another place where we don't recommend those applications. And then also, once we do get in that safe zone this fall, where we can make fall ammonia apps, let's make sure the soil conditions are appropriate right we don't want it too wet where we're not we're not feeling but then we also don't want it too dry and so there's just kind of a happy a happy space in there we got to make sure that we're sealing so that we don't have any volatility losses behind that toolbar so again knowing where we're located within the state what are our soil types are we making a good application and then we got to wait till at least late october when those soil temps get about 50 degrees and are trending down. I think you guys hit it on the head with that 50 degrees. 
uh, and trending down. I typically tell customers if you plant corn to, into the forecast, you probably shouldn't put anhydrous on it. And I think that's the easiest way for me to remember is we typically circle that 50 degrees in the spring uh, for planting corn and trending up. So if, if that's the forecast, we need to pull anhydrous from that application window. Mike, you had mentioned um, kind of the drought conditions looking into that. So last year we actually, we had a dry fall, I would say, and then we went into a dry winter. And this year, you know, we were in severe drought in areas so if we repeat that and we head into another dry fall, what are some things in your mind, and Heather, for you too, what are some tactics we could do to better utilize nitrogen, fall, fall applied nitrogen? Yeah, so a lot of times I get the question, man, it's so dry, Mike, can, can we make that fall application? So if we think about those soils that we're targeting where we've got a medium to a fine textured soil, even though it's ridiculously dry, there's still some moisture in there. So we can be on the drier side and still make a very successful application. Things that I would point to is what's your toolbar? Like how deep are we applying that anhydrous? You know, if you're using a traditional knife toolbar and you're applying it all of six inches deep, that helps us. Also paying attention to what kind of sealers you've got on the back of that toolbar to make sure we're putting a little extra dirt right on top of where that knife track is helps us seal up. And then the other thing is, is, you know, we're sitting here the middle of September doing this recording today. Um, I sure hope it's five to six weeks before anybody starts considering fall applications of ammonia in Illinois. So odds are we're going to pick up some rain. Even if we get an inch or two of rain, that'll put our topsoil in a place where we'll be able to safely make fall and serve applications, fall ammonia applications. So, so coming from Southern Illinois, we're not uh, definitely not a common practice, but as you guys in, you know, Central Northern Illinois, what do you see as far as growers and the rates that they're using here? Is I know you go back 25 years ago, the fall rate, that was the only rate we used, right? It was all, all about fall in. Do you see a more two and three applications now with maybe just a base rate uh, fall in? Yeah, I, I think for me, for one, Scott, I do see more of that. Um, a lot more people grabbing a hold of splitting out nitrogen applications to spread out their risk. Um, Cody, Brad, Crystal, um, what thoughts from you folks? I would say, yeah, it's becoming more and more common. Um, you know, it's funny because I think that some of the most successful operations that I work with that have the most consistent yields, I guess, is a better way to put it. Are the ones that are splitting their nitrogen, whether that's you know in hydrous and you know in the in the fall or maybe even in the spring, um, you know that's that's key. But I would say for the most, for the biggest part of my guys that are using fall and hydrous, yeah, that's just a uh, typically half or maybe three quarters of of what they're going to put on, and then they'll come back and split it up between side dress. Or I was actually talking to a customer the other day that comes and puts weed and feed over the top of it and. Um, and, and they have the high CEC ground, so they have the ability to do that. But um, yeah, definitely split application. But I saw a lot more people move to fall anhydrous last year just because of pricing and concerns about uh, what was going to be available come liquid this spring. And um, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out this fall. I think a lot of guys were happy with it. So 
Yeah, Cody, you made a comment on CEC. Um, that, that's typically what happens here in Western Illinois. I mean, the old adage of 10 times your CEC is what we can apply. And that's that's typically what I, I see a lot of folks run with. Um, I, I've got a hodgepodge of splitting nitrogen rates, but you know, each, each operation is different. Definitely would echo that. And I think some of the sentiment around um, for Northern Illinois splitting those applications is just trying to provide and make sure that we have a reliable way of getting the nitrogen to the crop when it's most needed. So um, sometimes when we pinch pennies, um, some things like stabilizers sometimes fall out of the mix, unfortunately. Um, so I think that kind of opens up a key discussion kind of with um, both Mike and Heather here today of um, if someone's going to look at a stabilizer, really what is the most important attributes um, and what do you recommend there? So I would say when we take an overall look at stabilizers on the market today, you know, I, I can see where it's very confusing for a grower when there's a new manufacturer or distributor coming out with a new product. And um, I think one thing, really important thing to note and to know about stabilizers on the market is that there's really only a few key active ingredients. And so there is nitropyrin, which is very, which is specific to Corteva's NSERV and Instinct nitrogen stabilizers. There is DCD, which is in many different products. And there's also NBPT. So that is an above ground stabilizer as to where DCD, nitropyrin are below ground. So I would say my first point is always see if you can find a label. Always pull a label and just ask some questions about what stabilizer, um, let's say your retailer is recommending because that does make a big difference. I would say that not all stabilizers are created equal. A lot of these actives have been around for many, many years um, and companies are very good at marketing them. And so pull a label to see what you're getting and how much active. Um, that's probably my first point. Mike, I'll, I don't want to steal all the thunder. Go ahead. Yeah, no, thanks, Heather. And 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 even before you jump into products and labels, let's also think about what what recommendations are from the University of Illinois. I mean, their recommendations clearly state when when making fall applications, please respect that soil temp, which we've talked about, and make sure you're using an EPA registered nitrification inhibitor, right? So nitrification inhibitor means it's it's controlling that below ground. And there's only two products on the market that have EPA registration. So that really narrows it down. So for us, our NSERV nitrogen stabilizer is that. Um, highly, highly recommended. If the product that is being recommended to you is not one of those two products, I would ask a lot of questions. What's in it? How much is in it? Is that enough? Is there any third party or university data that supports that product? And in many, many cases, if those questions can't be answered, you shouldn't be using that product. I hear you guys talking about, in some ways, you may be saying something about that space being pretty full and that you can't just take stuff at face value and you have to ask some really good questions. And in some ways, it reminds me, folks, of, of a conversation we had early on when we talked about biologicals and some real critical questions we had to ask before we jumped into a new biological. And uh, I hear a lot of those same discussion points here, in particular that one about the EPA registered label, 
because I think there are quite a few products that are out there that make claims that that don't necessarily have that that label, if I'm thinking right, Mike and Heather. Their head is nodding, just so you guys know we were watching them on the other <laughs> side. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So there are dozens and dozens of products in this space. Be critical, right? Have a critical eye, have a critical ear of, of what you're getting. Ask questions. Um, and, and the fact that a lot of these products, they just are fertilizer additives. There's not near the um, detail to their label or how much active is in there. Again, that should be that should be a red flag. That should be a hmm. Should, is that a good idea? If you think about how important nitrogen is to corn production, when you think about the cost that nitrogen has to the to the grower, you certainly want to use a proven, trusted nitrogen stabilizer. I just keep thinking about you know there's this area is not an area that we can afford to skimp on. Um, you know, nitrogen is one of the most critical inputs that we invest in every year. Um, there are huge, if you're north of Route 16, huge logistical reasons why we still do fall applications because it's so hard to get in the field and get anything else done. And if we muff this one up, boy, um, th that has huge implications for our workload and trying to manage a workload and what already tends to be a really difficult planting season. Um, you know, if suddenly we would start to see things like a Minnesota-like approach where we have to do everything in the spring, um, that that really takes the layer of burden and increases it several fold for growers. So th this is a really important question to ask and get the right answer to. And I would add to that, you know, I know depending on what nitrogen prices are doing, um, that can kind of steer maybe a decision on a stabilizer. And so, you know, when nitrogen prices are high, people maybe want to be conservative um, with how much nitrogen they're putting on. And I would also say, you know, to that point, put on the right rate of N that you need for that acre for that hybrid and then add in a proven stabilizer. I think our concern is when nitrogen prices go low. Um, there's a tendency maybe for growers to want to cut out the stabilizer and add more units of N um, in place of that. And I would say we highly caution you not to do that just because we've talked about stewardship. First of all, that's not being a good steward of our resources, of our land, of our waterways. Um, and second, the more nitrogen you put on, especially there in the fall, is just more susceptible to loss. So when you look at a return that you can get from a stabilizer, a proven stabilizer against certain instincts versus putting on more units of N, um, it, it's night and day and it goes again into making that responsible decision. So maybe I just keep an eye out for that in this current market of maybe put that thought to the side just for a second and think about what is being good steward, what's, what's, what can I do that's right for my operation and, and for the environment and for my best bottom line really. You know, one of the things I've appreciated in Crystal and Cody and Brad chime in here too, but one of the things I've appreciated about this discussion is we've talked about the important conversation on nitrification inhibitors, but 
you folks have also really talked about this being a systems approach that you have to do several other things along with that really to get the bang out of that nitrification inhibitor. Um, Mike, I'm thinking out loud, we're probably, I hate to say this, but getting to be senior members of the group on this on this podcast today. But uh, the, the world has changed just a little bit when it comes to recommendations. Would you mind just, uh, we've already talked about some of those best management practices, but would you mind kind of contrasting that with where we used to be in the past just one more time so we can underline, underline that systems approach? Okay, so Matt just called me old, but I, Matt, I can handle it. I can handle it. I can call you old too. We'll be there together. I'm very much, but, um, very much so on my end. So, um, so yeah, we, uh, you know, sometimes it's fun to reminisce, right? You go back years past. Let's go, let's go back decades past. And uh, I remember Matt when I when I first moved to moved to Illinois and and started working in this area. Um, recommendations around fall ammonia were very different um, several decades ago. And I remember my, my, one of my very first falls and the recommendation back in, and this was, this was university recommendations back then, Matt, but it was, you could start making uh, fall applications at 60 degree soil temps. If you used insert, and if you did not, they wanted you to wait until soil temps were, 50 degrees and then there was that and then that 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 recommendation was kind of phasing out as i started in the business here and then there was for a couple of years it was wait until soil temps were 55 and then shortly thereafter it went to the 50 degree temperature where we are today and um and also the you should use a proven nitrification inhibitor if you're making any fall ammonia applications. So that's kind of where we've gotten to. But yeah, it was a lot different. And Matt, back then, you know, probably back in the 1990s, I would say, is when fall ammonia applications kind of became vogue across central and northern Illinois. Um, as soon as beans were cut, there were people running. It was way too early in October. So we've made great strides on being good stewards of nitrogen, but we can always do better. We'll, we'll, we'll never be good enough. We can always do a better job there. So just one more time, Mike, it used to be 60 and then in serve um, when you were getting to about 50. Then we pulled it back to 55 and then to really be good stewards we've said no and i think this is this isn't just corteva i mean this is ifca you know fertilizer and chemical association they're all talking about 50 degrees with a nitrification inhibitor and that's regardless of all the stuff from the past that's where we are now is 50 with a nitrification inhibitor and some of those things that cody and brad were talking about earlier about long-term trend looking towards cooler and then we've also talked about um, th that latter date there in October, rather than getting too ambitious. I know Heather mentioned that just a bit ago. Um, again, just to get that in people's head seems really important because we want to be really good stewards and make sure we're living by the best management practices that are current rather than what were maybe 30 years ago. Yeah. And, and don't be manipulating soil temp, right? Depending on the time of day, depending on the depth of the soil you're measuring, right? We can manipulate all that stuff a little bit. Um, there's actually a really good website out there 
that uh, I'll make sure to share with you agronomists here next month, but it shows across the whole state where soil temps are trending. And we always look at that four inch depth is what we look at. And there's a couple of different temps you can look at if you're interested. There's a, a daily maximum temp, which typically if it's a sunnier day, late afternoon, you hit that. There's a daily minimum temp. And then there's what they call the average temp, or which is just the 10 a.m. temp. But again, just please use common sense. Don't manipulate that stuff to justify starting early. Because by starting too early, you're just risking your nitrogen not being there next year when your corn crop really needs it. And if we are losing it, we know we know where it's going, right? It's ending up in our rivers, our tiles, and it's not helping us towards our nutrient loss reduction strategy. Um, great comments there just on the overall importance of making sure we manage that nitrogen. Um, any other final closing comments for the group today? I think Mike had mentioned it, but just want to express one last time the importance of quality or checking your equipment. A lot of these anhydrous bars are borrowed from the retailers. And, you know, most of the time, well, a lot of the time I see growers just jump in them and run. And um, if you really follow some of those anhydrous bars, you can see that, um, you know, if your knives aren't correct or if, if, if there's loose pieces, um, you can just, you open yourself for, for, for some loss there. So just the importance of having a quality piece of equipment and making sure everything's running smoothly before you get started. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in for today's podcast. This has been the Pioneer Agronomy Podcast, where we keep you one step ahead of local agronomy issues throughout Illinois. Thank you, and we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.